Good morning, loved ones. All right. Morning, brother. Um, I just want to say uh, thank you for uh, all the cleanup with the Christmas stuff, and it's all taken down and put away. So, thank you for all those that came and and did that, and uh, you know, take care of the all that stuff. And uh, thank you for uh, the hard work on the parking lot and uh, with all the snow. I I know I didn't do any of it, and. Yet it's it's done, and so what a blessing that we have servants that come and serve in such a way to um, be sure we have a clean parking lot and and safe, not icy uh, roads to, to to come in on. So thank you for everybody that this week has been a trying week, and uh, my apologies for happened to cancel services and uh it just seemed that uh that was probably the best thing in mind with probably what 14 inches of snow up here maybe or or so yeah the the heavy snow so uh so hopefully lord willing we will be back on track and and going and everything but i just wanted to say thank you from me and uh for everything that everybody did to make sure that this that this functions, that this church functions, and what a blessing that it all is. So, well, let's pray, and then we'll we'll get into uh, the service today. Father, Lord, we just thank you that we can come into your presence, Lord, that we can open your word, and we can look at your word, and we can praise you for your word, and we can thank you for the guidance that it gives us. Father, I, too, Pray as Martin did, Father, for those that are sick that aren't here today, Lord, that you would touch their bodies and and heal them, Father. I pray for those, Father, who are struggling emotionally, that you would give them clarity of mind and clarity of thought, Lord. Father, pray for upcoming surgeries that are going to take place, Lord, that you would guide the doctor's hands and that those being operated on, Father, would find their rest and their trust in you that you know what's best. Lord, we thank you for those that you have brought back safely from traveling over the hill. Thank you for that, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the water. (laughs) We thank you for the snow, Lord, and we know that it comes from the abundance of your house, Father. Now, Lord, we just ask that you would accompany your preaching, Lord, that you would Let your spirit come and open our eyes and open our hearts and open our ears to hear your word, that our eyes would truly be turned to Christ now, Father, that we would see in your word how we have been redeemed by the blood, that we are changed. Father, that you would just magnify yourself and glorify yourself in this today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, so during our week, it's, you know, it's easy to get caught up in things that aren't so much spiritual, right? We, we get caught up in things that are going on at work. We get caught up with things that are on the news. We get caught up 
with many different things. And even in retirement life, where some of you are and some of you are headed, even in retirement life, we get caught up with the saying of, I wonder how I did it when I was working. You know, I remember my dad saying that often. He didn't know how he got it all done when he was working. And, um, and so in retirement life, we can be busy. And in our normal lives, we can get busy. We can uh, spend more time at the doctor's offices than we, than we do at work. We can spend more time watching our TV and, and wondering what's going to happen tomorrow in Ukraine or whatever. And our minds can get clouded with things of the world instead of being clearly set on who Jesus is to turn our eyes to him. So today, I want to go through some things. It's just a remembrance, right? We're, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I just want to remind us of what the cross is about because we easily can forget about the cross in our busy lives. And so I just want us to Look at the glorious truths of the cross. And so I have nine things that I want to talk about. So we're going to have to listen quickly. So here we go. The first thing, I want us to see that Jesus' death, it glorifies God. That is the first and foremost. Jesus came to do the Father's will. He came to glorify God. So his death on the cross ultimately glorifies God in the highest. Is it for us? Yes. But first and foremost, it glorifies God. In John chapter 17, in in the Lord's Prayer, he says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. This is the hour, the hour of his crucifixion. If we remember in the Gospels, we see where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But now in his high priestly prayer, Jesus says, the hour has come. It's time for him to glorify the Father. And that's what he says. The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. The cross ultimately is the glory of God. We see the glory of God in the cross. And that is what Christ came to do. And this accomplishes the will of God. In John John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to his apostles, he says this in verse 34, the disciples. He said, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So that was Jesus' mindset. He was tunneled vision on doing the Father's work. This is what fed him. This is what nourished him was doing the Father's work. Again, in John 6, 38, Jesus puts it this way. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in Psalm 48, he puts it this way. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So when we look at Jesus' life and even the cross, it was a delight to him. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so first and foremost, we see as we come to the communion table that the death of Jesus glorifies God. That's the first thing. Secondly, the death of Jesus was God's predetermined plan. This was a plan that was wrought in eternity past 
It was God's predetermined plan that his son would die. Listen to Acts 2.23. This is Peter's sermon. And it says this, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he says this, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was God's definite plan. This word definite means it was fixed definitively. It was going to happen. This was part of God's will. Daniel tells us that God's will can't be thwarted. Job says that God's will, no one can stay his hand. Those are the things that we read in the Bible. The Bible tells us that God sits in heaven and does what he pleases. This is his predetermined plan was for Jesus to die. It was fixed definitively. Nothing could have thwarted it. Nothing could have changed it. It was in God's plan from eternity past for his son to be crucified for you and I's sin. And ultimately, what brought glory to him. When the believers are playing, praying in Acts chapter 4, they're, they're praying for boldness, and they reaccount these things, and they, they talk about uh, uh, Herod and Pilate, and this is where they come in Acts 4.28. They said that, uh, that Herod and Pilate, they were there to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So Jesus' whole life was planned. It was predetermined by the will of God. Whatever Pilate did was predetermined by God. The Bible tells us that. Predestined to take place. It was going to happen. And those are the things in our lives, brothers and sisters. God has predestined us for stuff. Our salvation is predestined. That's what Romans 8 tells us. Those he predestined. He called, he justified, he glorified. It's going to happen. There's going to be things in our life, good things that are predestined that are going to take place, bad things that are predestined that are going to take place because it's all part of God's great plan to conform us to the image of God and ultimately it brings us to the worship of him and it brings glory to him. So the death of Jesus is God's predetermined plan. Third, Jesus' death satisfied God's wrath for sinners. Satisfied God's wrath for sinners. There always had to be a payment for sin. Even in the Old Testament, when we read Leviticus, we see all the sacrifices that had to take place for sin. There was always a sacrifice for sin. There was always that. And Jesus' death, it satisfies God's wrath. That is what you and I deserve, brothers and sisters. We do not deserve grace. We do not deserve mercy. We deserve wrath. That is what our sin has gave us. It, it's death. It's an eternal death. It's an eternal separation from God. That's what Romans 6 says, right? For the wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. Wages. That's what we, when we go to work, we earn wages. That's what our sin has done. What have we have earned? We've earned death. This is what we've earned is God's wrath. But Jesus comes as the substitute. And he takes our wrath and he gives us his righteousness this is what's imputed to us this is what is given to us is his righteousness he is the ultimate substitute 
And he had to be the ultimate substitute. He's the only one that could have satisfied God's wrath. Is the infinite, eternal, perfect son. These are things that we often forget and we need to be reminded of. Is that Jesus satisfies that wrath. He, in 1 John 2, 2, it said, He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation. He is the atonement. He is the one who has atoned for this. He is the one who has satisfied God's wrath. And we see this in the resurrection, that that, that, that uh, sacrifice was accepted. We see this. He is the propitiation. He is, in the Old Testament, he is the mercy seat. He is the blood that was shed. These were types that point us to who Christ is. He is the atonement. It doesn't say that Christ is still atoning for. It says he has atoned for our sins. He is the atonement. That is why he says on the cross, it is finished. The atonement is finished. Nothing more to atone for for us, brothers and sisters, who are in Christ. He is atoned for your sin. He is a propitiation, 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. The atonement for our sins. Don't be trying to atone for your sins, brothers and sisters. They're already atoned for. Christ has done this for us. Jesus' death satisfies God's wrath. Fourthly, God's love is demonstrated in the death of Jesus. We see his love in the death of Jesus. In Romans 5.8, but God shows his love. He demonstrates his love. He puts his love on glorious display for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, while we were shaking our fists at God, why we didn't want to have anything to do with God. He puts his glorious love on display by sending Christ to die for us. And then we read it again in John 15, 13, when Jesus in the upper room discourse said this to his disciples, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, that glorious love that one would lay down his life for his friends. I mean, I mean, that would be my plan. Wouldn't that be your guys' plan? I mean, that would be my plan. My plan would be for me to take my son and have him die for you. That would be my plan. I don't think so. That would not be my plan, but that was God's plan. God's plan was for God so loved the world that he sent his son. His affections towards his creation, his affections towards his people, his affections towards his church. His love for us sends Christ. And so Christ's death 
ultimately glorifies God and it puts his holiness on display. We see his holiness in the cross because we see what our sin did. We see his absolute perfection in the cross because of what it cost. And as believers in Christ, what does it cost us to follow Christ? Everything. It costs us everything to follow Christ. But it's worth the cost. It's worth the cost. Fifth, you and I are declared righteous in the death of Christ. You and I are declared righteous in the death of Christ. We see, first of all, we always have to remember that Christ's death ultimately glorifies God. But within this, what did the death of Christ do for us? Right? What did the death of Christ do for us? It declares us righteous. We are now righteous in God's eyes. We are justified in God. We are not guilty before God anymore. Listen to Romans 4.23. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The death of Christ justifies us. We are declared righteous. God puts the not guilty stamp on there because Jesus went to death row for us. He went to the electric chair for us. He took our offenses for us that we might be justified. We might be counted righteous in God's eyes. That is what we needed. We needed righteousness. We needed to be righteous in God's eyes. And that's what Christ does. He gives us that righteousness and he takes our wretchedness. So we are counted as righteous in God's eyes. You and I are reconciled through the death of Christ. We had this problem, right? We had this problem. We had this divide. We had this problem with God. We were his enemy and we needed to be reconciled. That's what we needed. We needed reconciliation with God. Our problem was not with our neighbor. Our problem is not with our bosses. Our problem is not with the people we work with. Our problem is not with our spouses. Our problem was with God. And that relationship needed to be reconciled. You see, the vertical relationship has to be dealt with before the horizontal relationship can take place. And that's what Christ came and done. He reconciled us through his death. It had to be through his death. Listen to Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. There it is. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And then again in Colossians 1.22 and 23, Paul writes this. He has now reconciled us, how? In his body of flesh by his death. This is how we've been reconciled. It wasn't a come to a meeting and sit down and shake hands and be good. No, a death had to occur. 
and it was the death of Christ. You and I have been reconciled. Look at that reconciled. It's done, right? We're not in a reconciliation process. We're not reconciling every day with God. No, Christ has come, and his death, since his death is definitive, everything is definitive. He has reconciled us. It is done, brothers and sisters. The reconciliation between us and God is done. Christ has done this, and he did it in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is your standing, brothers and sisters, right there. Because you've been reconciled by the blood of Christ, you now are holy, blameless, and above reproach in the eyes of God. That should be amen. Yes, because that's our standing. That is where we are. Listen to 123. If indeed you continue in faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is our standing. Stand firm in it. Be steadfast in it. Do not lose hope in the glory of God or hope in the gospel. We can't do that. So you and and I are reconciled through the death of Christ. Seventh, you and I are no longer condemned through the death of Christ. See, that's what, our, that's what our, our, our sin did it, right? For all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. We were condemned. We were condemned to hell. That was where we were all headed. We were on that path. We were on the wide road that led to destruction. We were not on the narrow path that led to the gate that is into salvation. Before the Lord reached down and plucked you out of hell, this is where we were headed. We were headed for hell. We were condemned in our sin. There was no way we could atone for it. That one single little lie that we told condemned us to hell for eternity. But Christ's death, Christ came. He was the one that was condemned, not us. He took your condemnation on that cross. This is what he did. Listen to John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He does not come into judgment. He does not come into condemnation. This is what happens. Romans 4, 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That's you and I. He says, blessed are we. Why? Because your lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. They're removed. They're atoned for. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The Lord does not count our sin against us because Christ has taken care of it. We are no longer condemned for it. Now, do we still sin? Yeah. Do we still need to ask for, confess that sin? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what 1 John 1, 9 tells us is to confess our sin. And God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
But we are no longer condemned for sin. Romans 8.1 tells us that. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. Brothers and sisters, we sit here not a condemned people, but a blessed people. But a blessed people. Eighth, you and I are set free from the power of sin because of the death of Christ. You see, when when we're not believers... That's all we do. All we do is sin. That's all we know how to do. And we do it pretty good, don't we? We can sin pretty good. I mean, even as believers, we can, we're, we're still pretty good at it. You know, if that's one thing that, that I know that I can perfect pretty quickly, it's that. You know, I can, I can do that with, with, with ease, is sin. But because of Christ's death, that power. Sin does not have that power over us. We can choose not to sin. We can choose not to sin because we are made new. We are new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. We are brand spanking new. We don't, that sin doesn't have power over us. It doesn't have control over us. It doesn't have dominion over you and I anymore because Christ took the power of sin away on the cross. This is what he did. Listen to Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? This by no means, it's very emphatic. It's very emphatic. And what Paul is saying is the question is, is what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's saying no, no, no. But the no gets a little more louder as we go. Are we to continue in sin? No. 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 How? Can you and I who have died to sin still live in it? By no means. And then he continues in 8 through 11. He says this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you and I must consider yourselves or, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. No more power over you. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. That's it. It doesn't have power over you because you and I have died to it. When Christ died on the cross, we died on the cross. When Christ rose from the grave, you and I rose from the grave. We're brand new, brothers and sisters. Sin has no power over you. And finally, you and I, ultimately, we are saved by the death of Christ. That's what we needed. We needed a redeemer. We needed to be saved from that sin. We needed to be saved from that sin. Listen to Acts 2.21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who believe in the person and work of Jesus, his perfect life, his atoning work on the cross, his burial, his death, his triumphant raising from the grave, and his glorious ascension into heaven. 
when we trust in those things, that is the simpleness of a gospel. Jesus came to die for sinners. He came to die for sin. When we call out to him and we trust in him, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That death saves us. What did that death save us from? Does it save us from hell? Yes. Does it save us from condemnation? Yes. But brothers and sisters, the death of Jesus saves us from him because he is the judge. He is the one that will inflict all of his wrath on people in hell. His death saves us from him. That's what his death does. We needed to be saved from him. We have to remember, is Jesus love? Yes. Is he gracious? Yes. Is he merciful? Yes. But is he righteous? Yes. Is he holy? Yes. Can he look at our sin and wink? No. Because of his holiness. The one in Isaiah 6 that sat on that throne, that is Jesus himself in all of his glory, that even the seraphims cannot look upon his holiness and his glory. They have to cover his eyes. Yes, brothers and sisters, Jesus came to save us from him. Don't forget that. Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Allah can't save you. Buddha can't save you. Confucius can't save you. The Hindu beliefs can't save you. Jesus is the only one that can save you. That is it. He is the only one that can save you. So we see these nine things that we need to be reminded of consistently because we so easily can forget them. So easily can forget, forget them. So now, brothers and sisters, as we come to the table, may we turn our eyes to Jesus. May we look into his wonderful face May we adore him and may we lift him up as our gracious king. So take a few minutes as the elders come forward and as we pass out the elements, take some time. If there's something in your heart that's not right with the Lord, make it right now. Do it now. If this, brothers and sisters, if you are not saved, this is not for you. Let it go by. Paul is very clear. He gives a warning that he who eats and drinks of this with an unworthy manner, they eat and drink condemnation in themselves. Be sure you are right with God. But yet look at the death of Christ and see God's mercy and grace in there and praise him because it ultimately glorifies him.